Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. This podcast is a Soul Fire production. This interview was recorded prior to the November elections. Since the time of this recording, Corey has transitioned from his role at Groupon and will be starting his new role as the VP, Global Head of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion for Aurora Tech. For those unfamiliar with the company, Aurora is leading the effort to develop self-driving technology and most recently acquired Uber's Advanced Technologies Group. Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry, and I am so excited to have Corey Flournoy here today with me to talk about everything inclusion, diversity, women related. And um, I want to just introduce you for a minute. I, first of all, I want to say that Corey I met in February, and I can't believe it's not even been a year, but I met in February and immediately he was speaking at a panel and uh, he's a global head of inclusion and diversity at Groupon. And I was just so enamored by his energy, his presence, his purpose. So I am so excited to have him here for our audience today, for all of you. So Corey, please introduce yourself and welcome. First, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast and, and just for knowing you. You're such a great person. So anyway, my name is Corey Fono, as she mentioned, um, and I've been working in the diversity, inclusion, and equity space for years. I started when I was in college, and it's an interesting start to it. Let's just say I started off in, um, working in a very non-traditional area, working in rural, conservative, Republican community. <laughs> I could not be more opposite of how you grew up and what your world is. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, I was born on the south side of Chicago, raised in a single parent household. I'm, I'm black for those who can't see me. And so, yeah, you know, I, I've entered into this space in a very different way. And um, I started a business called Creative Outreach Consulting. Um, started back in 1996 when I was in college. And, I, wow. and that's when I was doing diversity and inclusion work, leadership development work. And my partner was a, is a white female uh, from central Illinois, from a small farm town, you know, father's a veterinarian, mother's a homemaker. And that was the whole deal was that we were two people who came from very different backgrounds who came together, learned from each other, challenged each other's way of thinking, and ultimately developed a business that still exists today. And so that's my, my thing that has been part of my life for years. <laughs> and my full-time job is I'm the global head of inclusion and diversity for Groupon. You know, I feel like the audience, they really need to hear like your full story because I remember when you spoke in February, like immediately I was like, he needs to be in my energetic orbit. Like there is no way that Corey is not going to be part of my energetic orbit and I'm going to get into his because what I find so powerful is that you've had, you know, the experience that you've told me about like growing up in the South side of Chicago and then the fact that you went into agriculture. And you went into farming and, you know, your high school was in that. You went into college to learn about economics of agriculture. Like, talk about that a little bit and tell about, like, what was it specifically that, you know, took you from that lens to getting closer and closer into inclusion and diversity? So actually, it's, it's even crazier than this. So we think about it. So, you know, I said I was raised by my mother. I was raised in a single parent household. And so my father wasn't around growing up. I was not good at sports. I never had a male role model in my life to teach me sports. And so I was a kid who hated gym growing up. Um, I <laughs> tried to find ways to get in trouble so I wouldn't have to go to gym. That's and funny. So, That's the same as me. <laughs> and so it's crazy, right? And I also was that guy who got picked last on every sports team. That's the coolest thing you can that ever do. That is so mean. Like, that's just gym. not fair. Right. And, and so, you know, in my case, you know, they would pick all the guys and all the girls and the people who were absent. And then they get back to me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I hated gym. And so here's the reason I give this background. is So when I started looking at high schools, mm -hmm. this high school was called the Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences. It opened in 1985. 
And when I applied to it, it didn't have sports or gym. Oh, so sign me up right now. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is great. Agriculture, I don't really care. I'll go for this school. And so I actually ended up there. But I, I, I was And um, the agriculture was just something I had to deal with. And even crazier, and this is high school required that every student who went there was also a part of an organization that at the time was called Future Farmers of America. Mm. Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, it is the largest student, student youth organization in the country. Now has more than 700,000 high school students. Wow. But, but as you would imagine, mo- mostly predominantly white, 90% white, rural, mm-hmm. conservative. Mm-hmm. And they also have a large convention every year. So they have a national convention that was held in Kansas City, Missouri. Now that convention is held in Indianapolis, about 70,000 attendees. Oh my so one God. of the largest conventions ever. That's um, wild. And when I went as a freshman, I saw these six white kids who were all college age students who ran the entire thing in a big mm-hmm. arena. And I said, I wanted to be them one day. And that's kind of what led me to stay wow. active in agriculture, stay active in FFA. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately in 1994, I was elected as the first black and the first urban national president of that organization. That's incredible. That like that really is incredible. I mean, to think about that journey and to be in and part of like what you said, like is like majority of them were white conservative, and here you are being the president of that. I mean, what was that like? It was life changing, and it is it is still open doors for me today. So I had to take a year out of college. Um, mm. Only six people were elected, and I spent a year traveling more than hundred thousand miles. I hit a probably wow. thirty some odd states, giving workshops, speeches, and we're talking. You know, I'm twenty years old speaking at a convention in a state like 3,000 people and doing it on the middle of the stage, spotlights and everything else without a script. So wow. it was, look, thinking back, it's an insane experience to have as a 20-year-old to travel around the world, right. do that, have that kind of responsibility by yourself. And then a good portion of my year was spent with corporate executives. And so as a 20-year-old, I was meeting with CEOs of companies like Monsanto, um, you know, GMC, <laughs> mm-hmm. and going in, having an hour conversation with the CEO to learn about their industry, thank them for that sponsorship. I mean, those opportunities are not <laughs> ever given to it. Like a 20 year old, it's like, you have to be at Ivy League schools to get those kind of opportunities. And so that is incredible. And that I can totally see how that could shape your the rest of your life for you. And it did. And so it, it changed my opportunity of thinking about what to do career wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of that experience, also media attention. So never that was the thing I never expected was to get the level of media attention to my election. So when I say media attention, I got elected a Saturday night. By that Sunday morning, I was in every major newspaper in, in, in the country, in different parts of the world. Wow. Um, I had media calling me. Uh, I was on CS, CBS this morning. Um, I even had the experience of being in a hotel room one night and watching HBO. It used to be a, the Dennis Miller show. He used to have mm-hmm. his own. And doing headlines at the end. You know, he makes fun of the things that happened that week. And my picture shows on the screen. He's making a joke about me being elected. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that is so great. Wow. You're like, what has happened to my life? You know, <laughs> as a 20-year-old, right? So. Totally. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, but all of that that you just said also brings up, like, really interesting points. Because, one, just going back to high school, being the fact that, like, you were picked last in gym, which, I mean, again, people who don't know Corey, it's like, you're a really tall guy. So the fact that, you know, there's obviously going to be stereotypes aligned with that, right? You're a tall black man. And so it's like, well, of course, why wouldn't he be great at basketball? Things like that. And the fact that, you know, there's like all these like preconceived notions and biases that get placed with that. Then you go into a field that's completely in a conservative space and it completely shapes your um, opportunities. You're able to meet CEOs. It shapes the way that you are going to move into your career trajectory. All of those things are resources and privilege that, you know, don't always get or aren't active or um, available to everybody. So how would you then, you know, talking to some of the young, younger audiences, like how would you then tell them that what can they do while they're in college? What can they do to make sure that they are getting the opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be available to them? Majority of my job is talking to high school students. So part of it was just incredible. was brought in their perspective of what opportunities were available to them to think mm-hmm. about agriculture as being more than farming. And, that, and it was, that was the reason yeah. it was created was there were students who went to veterinary, veterinary medicine, mm-hmm. um, agriculture engineering, Floriculture, horticulture, greenhouse management. So there were all these jobs that in agriculture that people don't think of as being agriculture. And so it's really about, hey, if you're a person of color and you're looking to go to college potentially for free because they were in such great need for people of color and diversity. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I, you know, I went to college for free. I got my, went to grad school for free because there was this, this need to give people of color 
and women wow. into this field. And, you know, with a degree in agriculture economics, I was still able to work in business. So I, even mm-hmm. though I had these degrees, I worked in advertising for Lear Burnett as my first job. So mm-hmm. uh, it was transferable skills. The other quick piece I would add to it. So if you imagine, you know, being this black guy, going to an agricultural school, being part of Future Farmers of America, there was also this, this other part that I didn't talk about, and that was being gay. And knowing mm-hmm. as a young kid that I was gay and going through the FFA, knowing that I could never allow myself to have that exposed. It was tough enough being black. It was, there were places that I was not invited to within the state of Illinois when I was a state wow. officer. There were people who, you know, Corey was only elected because he was black, regardless of my credentials, regardless of how I presented myself. And so I also sort of lived in fear mm-hmm. during that year that my sexual orientation would come out and become an issue. Um, and even afterwards, working in an industry in, in a field that is typically conservative, mm-hmm. that was always kind of a, 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 a tough point of, of wondering, um, would that become an issue and how would I adjust or survive it? You know, that, um, that's really heartbreaking. And it just, it just, it's the reality of so many people. It's the reality of the fact that like a lot of people, when they get up to different positions, you know, they get uh, sidestepped by saying like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal or, you know, it, well, we needed, we needed to have the checklist of diversity and you fit the bill. And it's completely pouring water all over the hard work that you put in. And what it does, I feel like is that, you know, even with women is that it makes them question themselves like, well, do I know my stuff? Like, am I good enough to be here? And when you have all these people that are writing your identity for you and they're coming into your mind in different ways, how do you overcome that? How do you continuously remind yourself that like, no, I belong here? Well, now I'm old enough (laughs) (laughs) where um, I recognize that in certain rooms, even in a seat, you know, room of people who are senior management, Mm -hmm. that I have insights and a perspective that is different than they do. Right. Um, and if anything, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked the more rooms that I'm in and the more CEOs I've talked to different companies, it, it's just the high level of blind spots that people have. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a woman, know that you have a perspective and a voice that regardless of the number of years that person has been in that company and, and whatever, see whatever they are, that you have a perspective and a voice that needs to be heard. And that's enough, should be enough courage to allow you to share your voice and perspective and to be comfortable recognizing that sometimes when you share your perspective, you may be the only lone voice to share that perspective. And it may even bring silence in the room, but it's okay. Um, so I think that's part of what has, has I've learned is I belong in that room. I need it in that room. And they're missing out because I'm not in that room. I really love that you just said that. And I feel like that can be a mantra of its own, that right before you enter any room, say that again, that I belong in this room. I have a point. I deserve to be in here. You know, and even if you're the lone voice, it's like stand up for that. And it's so hard when everyone else around you is telling you, like, don't do it. It's going to jeopardize your career. You're not going to get clients. You're not going to get an audience that's going to listen to you. And you're in there speaking your voice. And I know over the time that we've talked, you know, when we've talked especially about what's going on right now in the climate and a lot of people who are in diversity feeling exhausted with the fact that, you know, there's a lot of performative stuff happening and there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done, but there's a disconnect. But I really loved what you said and how you really looked at that platform of like me being in the room is Otherwise, if I wasn't in that room, I would, they wouldn't know anything better. They wouldn't know the other perspective. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, because one thing that I think is so powerful about being a Groupon is that not only are you able to support the actual employees that work there, but you're partnering with these small businesses that otherwise wouldn't have opportunities to be recognized, to market themselves if it wasn't for a marketplace like Groupon. Yeah, and it works two ways, right? So there have definitely been meetings where my voice has helped us, has kept us from making horrible decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you've seen them. You've seen companies like H&M. Um, there have been other companies that have had these disastrous mm-hmm. um, media nightmares because they were just coaching insensitive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've always wondered who was in the room, or better yet, who was not in the room. Right. And so that's, again, one important reason why I do the work that I do is, you know, a Groupon, a lot of times my conversations are helping it to, to shape the business. Um, I, I find that I'm often in meetings where I'm the dereller. 
Um, because mm. <laughs> when I bring I'm not up surprised. A, yeah, I mean, it, it's not, it, and I don't go in with that attention, but it's actually again, it's it's, it's surprising um, the blind spots. You know, when you know people are going to set policy, set strategy, you know, talk about culture, and yet they don't have representation in the room to do that adequately. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that people who are in high positions of power uh, can sometimes make policies and decisions without having the input of people who are really going to be impacted by it. And right. so I'm always, I'm always conscious of the fact of, do we have a woman's perspective? Mm-hmm. Particularly if we think our target is women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and, and you'd be surprised how many organizations would not do it. Right. There, there are how many people in the advertising world are making commercials that are geared towards women, but it's the creative team of all men. It's, it's mind boggling because I would never think to even try to do that. Right. Nor would I want, you know, a all white team to try to figure out how to market to black people. Right. Like I just, you need that <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Right. Like right. you need the insight of like, what are they really thinking, feeling, and like, what would they, what would it speak to? But what do you think the blind spot is? Would you think that as they're rising up, is it just an ingrained way of being? This is just what the status quo is, or is this something that, you know, like, what is it that's refraining from bringing in people of color or, and a woman of color. It is just a level of privilege where mm-hmm. you've never had to think about right. the other person's perspective. Um, so our company just finished reading the book, White Fragility. Um, had over 700 employees who read it. The entire senior management team did, and, and, and the CEO, CEO and I read it together and had conversations globally about it. And you know, it was interesting where he mentioned like he had never thought about what it meant to be white. Mm-hmm. I mean, up until you read the book, he had never thought about what it meant to be white. Right. Um, or white privilege or or thought about the fact of he's been in rooms when comments have been made about, you know, certain demographics and he hadn't spoken up. The book gave him that level of awareness. And I told him that there's never there is really a day that goes by in my life where I don't consciously think about the fact that I'm black. Right. So there's just a level of privilege yep. um, that happens when you are, have made it to a certain level and you have a certain or you're just born into yeah, and you're born into it, right? You're born into uh, it. <laughs> I mean, so, it, it's so true. Like, you know, I think that, like, I even go back to, like, even my grad school when, you know, I was learning to be a clinical therapist. And in one of our classes, when we, were, when we had our diversity class, it was actually more about, you know, as a straight person, how do you empathize and recognize what someone who's part of the LGBTQ community goes through? And we had to actually, our professors, I mean, this is like, a, I think, a common activity, but they would like give us like worksheets of like, what was it like for you to come out as straight? What was it like for you to do this? And, you know, we went through many of those types of activities to, in order for us to like really understand what it's like to be in that other person's shoes, because you just don't think about it if it's not necessarily something you've had to dealt, deal with. So that's the other part. It's like, how do you, you know, the first step is obviously that awareness. And that's amazing that everyone read that book and was able to have those conversations. But what's the next step? The next step is relationships. Um, so I am, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little, little bit of a preview. So right now I'm on a speaking tour, workshop tour mm-hmm. on allyship and authentic um, real relationship, right. in which I give three principles to what it means to be an ally of the same three principles that are required in a romantic relationship. <laughs> I love <laughs> and, 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 and it. And it truly does. Like, and the three principles are this. Number one, um, you know, do you know the person beyond the surface? You know, like, you know, people claim they're in a relationship. They don't know your middle name. They don't know your parents. They don't know anything about you. <laughs> and allyship requires the first step is do you have an authentic relationship with people of a different culture, a different background than yourself? And right. just because you know that one person at your church, that's not a real relationship. <laughs> right. Right? It's always like, like, oh, I had that friend who was that black guy that came to my that one's wedding. Right. Like right. you and I, like I, I enjoy the fact that I met you in January and we've had conversations, mm-hmm. we've gone to dinner. Like mm-hmm. you know things about me that most people don't know who I've worked with for three, almost three years, right? Right. So, that's what I mean. Like we need to invest in getting to know more about people and where they're from and their background. You share yeah. things with me and mm-hmm. that helps me to make better decisions. Right. When you know something and you know something about someone, you're more like advocate for them. You um, put it into context, it's, right? Like you're able to actually like understand them. They're no longer some random thing that you're hearing about on the media and the news. Like you're actually seeing the human flesh of like, oh, okay, I understand your community. I've now yes. visited your community. I've like had your food. I've experienced what it's like to be part of that family. Like that is truly understanding. And then it becomes less of this, like, I don't have any relation to it. So 
even any vote that you're putting in is no longer, you know, a vote from a distance. It's like you actually understand what it means to be a person of color. Exactly. And you'll never have total understanding, but just having context and having yeah. nuance and understanding changes how you show up. So, right. you know, again, I've been black all my life. And I guess I've been gay probably all my life too. Um, but, <laughs> but I realized how much my perspective changed when I first met my, um, my first individuals who are, who are trans. I knew mm -hmm. um, this, um, this couple, um, Miles and Precious, and they're both interesting. That, um, Miles was born a woman, mm -hmm. and Precious was born a man. Uh, they're both trans, they're married, and they just had a child. Oh my gosh, um, amazing. And they, they've been on a reality TV show and everything. It was in the media. You can actually, if you Google Miles and Precious, they'll show up. Oh, you but know, anyway, that's the first thing they're going to be doing right now. <laughs> exactly. They're here in Chicago. But it wasn't until I had an opportunity to spend time with them, hang out with them, mm -hmm. that I, I had an understanding of the trans community and right. the struggle and the process and everything else. Like, I, I, I love the fact that I've had the opportunity to expand my friendships. And even something as basic of Jewish individuals. I've right. known that I've worked with Jewish coworkers, but it wasn't until I actually spent time talking to people who have Jewish faith that I then had an appreciation of we damn right are not going to have a meeting on a Jewish holiday that's important. Right, because definitely. We're not working on Christmas, mm -hmm. you know. Right? So it gave me an appreciation for understanding what's important to other people, and I changed my reactions and my decisions because of having those personal relationships. That, that I feel like that relationship part is so key and pivotal. You spoke so well to it. And I, I completely agree with myself as well. It's just that, you know, I have friends that are Greek, that are Italian, that are from all different. And I'm actually, so being Indian, the one thing that I really consciously try to do is not necessarily have only Indian friends because same thing that even if you're a person of color and you only hang out and communicate with people of your same community, yes, the beautiful part about that is that they just get you. They understand it. They know what kind of parents you grew up with. They know what kind of family you have. They understand the dynamics, but that still keeps you closed. So having communities that are outside of yours. And so like, you know, I have friends that are Greek and Italian and Persian and you know what? We all grew up with the same kind of families. And that's the thing that you get to learn is that what it's like in my big fat Greek wedding, literally just take out Greek, put in Indian, like same thing. <laughs> and so it's just like, why is it that certain shows really resonate with minority communities? It's because there is a shared sense of community within even minorities. The fact that, you know, there's a lot of like collectivism, community, family tends to be really important in that. And when you're able to focus on that and open your mind when, you know, it's like you don't necessarily have to travel in order to get that perspective. But if you just open yourself up to different communities, and I think that there's so much fear that people have. And that's just like a human reaction is to be fearful of the unknown, fearful of what we don't know. And so when we have that fear, it closes us off to talking to people that may be different from us. But it's like that difference may be on top, but as we start to get to know them more and more, we realize that we have more in common with each other than we don't. Exactly. So I completely agree with that. And, you know, I wanted to touch on one thing, which is, and I want to come back to the fact that like, you know, being in inclusion and diversity and being the global head of that, one of the things right now that's really alarming is that about 2.65 million women have left the job force since COVID. And about 40% of that are minority women. Mm. And so the reasons around that obviously are just like being laid off or just childcare services. You know, obviously every family is handling the pandemic differently. And so as an organization, you know, what do you see as a way to partner with women that can still stay in the workforce? Because that is really scary. The fact that in 60 years, we haven't had a number drop like that. Right. So, you know, it's interesting because it, it, the same thing happened for women of color. I mean, it's just people of color in general. Mm -hmm. What I found was when a lot of companies had staff reductions, they hit certain departments. Mm. And those departments are departments that just so happen to typically be where people of color are like customers. Reside. Yep. Um, you know, some sales jobs, um, you know, really service oriented positions in general. Uh, so that's, was a, that's a challenge, right? They're just certain occupations and jobs and roles where people of color tend to gravitate towards it in that they're and when right. companies make these tough decisions some of these communities um some people were disproportionately impacted um and so you know i i think um uh, it's it's you know it's, it's important that when you are in the workforce that you do think about you know skill development job development right. thinking about what can you go to next because 
we don't know. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if, I mean, right now, diversity inclusion is, is the end thing, you know, it, <laughs> it's 2020. So right, right now it's, it, it's, but it's hot and popping. It's hot. It is hot and popping and everybody is calling and like, which right. can you do? Can you, you want a job here? Do you want to, but I also recognize in two years, we'll be onto something else or mm-hmm. two months, depending on how our country decides who wants to go. Right. So you gotta, you have to always be pivoting and thinking about your next opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are just something that happens to people of color, similarly to yourself, that they leave industry and start to go out on their own. And it's not yes. a bad thing to go out on your own, but develop that skill set. What is, what is that thing that you can do that you're passionate about that if for some reason your job is eliminated, you can pivot to that thing that you're passionate about and you can find ways to make income on your own. I think yes. that's so important is to have that, have that backup career. And also when you have a job, there is a high importance that people have to learn how to save. Mm. save money um and the tendency is you know you get a paycheck i'm gonna reward myself like um one of the things i've done as i've as i've transitioned throughout my career in different levels and different different pay grades is i have put away more money um i probably lived the same the same quality of life that i did five or six years ago when my salary was a third of what it is today wow i mean and, and that's just smart right because one of the biggest things about you know minority communities again is about empower economic empowerment and in order to have the economic department is being able to know that like even if you are just entry level you're starting out you're you're getting into like an emerging leadership position what can you do of course it's exciting it's like i got this money coming in now i can finally buy all these new things that i wanted but think about future think about what that means for you and i love that you touch on that point because economic disempowerment is really a huge and it's a big part of why there's this constant feeling of imposter syndrome there's this constant feeling of i'm not supposed to be there i'm you know what's the point of me going into this field like they're not going to want me there you know there's so many of those narratives that go through our mind otherwise and so how do we pivot that and honestly when the the more money's in your bank, there is a confidence that comes with it. Totally. In 1998, when I graduated from college, I, get, I got approached by a woman I knew through my FFA days, mm-hmm. um, worked for an investment company, and she convinced me to open a mutual fund account where I put $50 a month in. That was in 1998. And I have been putting money in an account every month since then, since 1998. That's amazing. Now, it's increased over time. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it. Like, it has to become part of second nature. Like, it yeah. is a bill. It is a yeah. bill that you pay every month and that is your own investment of savings. Yeah. And that's something that I think that women also struggle with is that, you know, financial uh, conversations and knowing how to negotiate well in the workplace, knowing how to like standing up for your value and looking at, you know, when you're negotiating your salary, when you're negotiating your benefits, everything, it's not looking at it from a place of like, what am I worth? But literally looking at it from a place where like how, you know, to be honest, like men do it, where it's like, this is what I bring to the table. So if you want this, then this is what you owe me. Like, this is what I'm worth. And not looking at it from a perspective of like, well, like I can do this and I can do it. Like, no, what are your competencies? What have you qualified and what have you brought to the table so far? And what are you going to be able to achieve for this company? And when you look at it from that perspective, you know, it takes away that, uh, looking at it from like a place of like valuing you yourself, but more of like your quality of work. It's something I want to pivot to something you mentioned earlier about imposter syndrome. Yeah. Here's what I, I, it has been the blessing, the blessing of a lesson I've learned. So in my career, and this is interesting, since I graduated from college, I have not worked for a company regardless of the size where I didn't know the CEO. Oh, interesting. Including like I taught the University of Illinois and I knew the C, I knew the president of the university because he was the dean who helped hire me, who got it promoted. So I don't know why that is, but every company and place I've worked in. And I said this to say this, the more time I've spent with senior management, the less I'm intimidated by thinking that I don't have what it takes. I love that. Every person who runs, who runs any organization, remember, they're always, they're a human. Right. They may, they may be a white male with privilege and everything else. They're still a human. They make mistakes. And I was on a panel discussion once with the CEO of a health um, advertising agency. And he said, the thing that I'm going to share with you in this panel that's going to shock you is that as a, as a white male with privilege, I am terrified being CEO almost every day. Wow. Because I know I can make the decisions that can destroy the company. I mean, right, is it, is it. Right. So don't let anyone tell you that anyone in senior management doesn't have fears about making mm-hmm. the bad decision, making bad decisions and not appearing at like they're the CEO. I there mean, there's a lot of weight that's put on their shoulders. I mean, from President of the United States on down, everyone yeah. has some level of, of self-doubt, 
Um, even the current person. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of what's happening in the White House is. is oh my God. I mean, really, it, it, a lot of it is. I need, need to bring for, out my clinical stuff in order to like really go through that. Like that is a whole other episode, you know, that we will have to spend. Episode, maybe it's a series. It may be a series. We're moving on. Uh, it may be a very, like a long We can't long get through it in 40 series. minutes. We, we can't. It'll be like one of those like 5,000 page, like, you know, written thing. Yeah. But, 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 but seriously, like, so whatever, whatever the spirit is that you're not good enough you don't have what it takes squash that because you yeah. do and whatever you don't know guess what there is something you know that the other person who's in that position doesn't know i really so love we got to get beyond this fear thought that you're not smart enough good enough experienced enough um and also the experience thing like that is that is my big fight second fight for 2020 is this whole theory that you've had to work at a company a certain number of years have a certain number of years of experience i've had to run a PL that's two billion dollars to be able to no do you have the competencies, <laughs> the behavior, and the skill mm-hmm. to do the job? And we need to, we need to re-examine job descriptions that are keeping people of color and women from key positions of leadership because they don't have this, this impossible resume that truly, truly was meant for white men. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like, there's so much of like, you know, always that catch 22 of like, you're supposed to have everything that you mentioned, but at the same time, we're going to pay you at a level that is like entry level or just someone who's just getting started. And it's just like, how do you expect them to come with this? Like, there's so much pressure that has been put on. And I love that you said that all the way up to the CEO and everyone has that imposter syndrome because it's so true. And I think a lot of times people make uh, senior management into celebrities. You know, and we look at them as like, oh my gosh, the CEO, they just walked by. Did you see them? And it's just like, they're a human being. Like you said, they drink water. They put on pants one leg at a time. Like it's the same thing. And, you know, in my last job that I was at, they really, um, focused a lot on corporate, you know, sticks with corporate and consultants have their own floor and they have the nicer things. And if you're going to go up to that floor, you have to be dressed appropriately and you have to speak to them in a different way. And I had to do some shadow work. And so I was working with them and watching, you know, what they were up to. And I was just, they were the nicest people. They were so open. They were incredibly vulnerable and they were really able to share a lot of like um, just their own experiences. And there was none of this extra pressure that's been put on by your own, you know, your own personal manager that might talk to you as if like you're not able or you're not allowed to talk to senior management. And I think that happens a lot to women. It's just that there are so many issues around trust. And there's so many issues around, you know, how, how am I supposed to present myself in front of the senior management? How am I supposed to be a leader with this person? And, you know, women are constantly being criticized for one thing or the other. Either they're doing too much of it or they're not doing enough of it. So I want to know, like at Groupon, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned to me before was that I believe it was last month that you guys had, uh, it was Women's Business Month. Yes. So what was something that you were able to do that you're proud of that you were able to provide for women that are in businesses? It was great, first of all. So whatever reason, i just leave it at this. Um, Groupon in the past, we had not really identified or tracked who our merchants were by demographics. Mm-hmm. Gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, whatever those things may be. And so first, it was just great to identify and get to know who our merchants were. Um, but then to be able to do a, a email campaign based on markets where we had some great, um, our, our creative team did a great um, imagery of, of supporting women-owned businesses this month. But they get a personalized email to every consumer group on, depending on your market, with a list of here are all the female-owned businesses in your market, which is fantastic. First of all, we had um, thousands that we were able to identify. Um, wow. Second, right now, and I think you mentioned earlier, small businesses are suffering. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, right now the statistic is that at least 40% of Black-owned businesses will not survive. And, uh, you know, I think any minority group Mm-hmm. probably going to fall in the same category. Um, and so to be able to do what we, what we could to actually, you know, promote these businesses, make it top of mind as businesses are continuing to reopen, getting consumers to buy Groupons, because it's just an investment, really. When you buy a Groupon until you redeem it, the merchant doesn't make money. Um, but just an investment in supporting these businesses. It's been, it's been phenomenal to see the level of support, um, to see sales go up month over month from wow. before we did it campaign. Uh, it's similar to what we saw for Black Business Month and for um, National Hispanic Heritage Month. So it's exciting to know that we can do our part to to galvanize people to come out in support of these businesses. And we need to do more of that. Um, right. You know, not every company is going to be an Amazon or, you know, or these other companies that are thriving, right. thriving during COVID. Um, yeah. 
we need to do what we can to, to support small business because that's that's what makes cities. That's that's the local community, um, right. and you know there are big chains. Um, they're going to do all, they're going to be okay. Walmart's going to survive. Exactly. No you know, and that's the thing that I will see is that like when you have these like bigger organizations that might have lost a little bit. Okay, fine. But they'll come back. They know they've got the funds. They've got the resources. They've been able to do it. We've had multiple recessions. They know what to do. But it's these mom and pop stores that are run by you know family members, generation to generation. So as you, you know, so as you were looking at like the different demographics and and you're focusing in on women, what do you think were some of their biggest strengths being as women business owners? First of all, they dominate. They dominate for group. Yeah, and they probably dominate in industry in just in just general society is that. The number of women-owned businesses and the type of things that they're doing is exciting. And they're not, they're not in the industries and places you would think they're always going to be. So, yes, we have a lot of in the health, beauty, wellness categories, so massages and facial mm-hmm. estheticians and, you know, nail salons. Right. There, are people, there, are, there are female-owned businesses that are mechanics. There's female mm-hmm. businesses that are in these industries that you would think are normally would be male-dominated. And it's great to see women in all different types of businesses and, and thriving and finding success. Um, there are several women who own vineyards and wine. wine um, wow, that's amazing. Sign me up with them. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? And it was, it's exciting um, to, to, to support companies that are, that are doing what they can in this time. And, and people are still drinking, drinking if not more now. So, right. Um, <laughs> the alcohol sales have definitely gone through. Oh my gosh, as well as marijuana sales. That's, a whole right. that's, another, that's another podcast. But no, right. uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, that that was that was most interesting to me. Was just I didn't know the breadth of businesses that are out there that women are running. Um, yeah. and it's exciting. It's exciting to see uh, people who are being entrepreneurs. Uh, some people who have left corporate America mm-hmm. and living their dream on their own, and it's not easy. It is not easy. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> But it's so worth it, you know. And I think that you touched this on, touched on this in the very beginning of saying that a lot of people of color and especially women of color, they end up leaving corporate and starting their own businesses. And it's because it's a place where they feel safer. They can, you know, call the shots. They can create leadership that is aligned more to like their style and their synergy of who they are, but also serve a community that they know needs that service and they can, what they can offer. But when you're looking at that, you know, with the, um, what would you say are like the top resources that a woman who's in business is trying to survive right now? Like what, where can she go? What is important for her? Here's the first thing you should do. Um, so in every state in the country, there is federal funding um, that is provided. Um, in Illinois, it's to, wow, I just do it. Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> who knew? Um, but in every state, there's federal funds that come down in the way of grants and loans that are available to businesses, particularly if you are women-owned, minority-owned businesses. So encourage you to connect, find that resource on the website today. Look for federal grants or federal money. Because I think, you know, when COVID happened, people were like, well, I didn't get a loan. I didn't get one of the right. loans. And like a lot of businesses didn't, a lot of minority-owned businesses and women businesses did not get it. However, right. I was shocked to find there was still a lot of federal grants, which not alone, don't need to pay back, that if you apply for it, I mean, work with your local state um, agencies, there are resources that are available that you probably didn't even know existed. Um, and so, you know, big companies, you know, these big companies who got the loans, they have people working for them. They have banks who came to them and said, hey, here's the money, here's mm-hmm. a loan. Um, just do a little research. I, I would say yeah. take advantage of the grants and, and other support services that are available at, at, from federal funding to state levels um, that could be very useful to you. All right, ladies out there. Nothing wrong with taking, all, taking federal money. Uh, I know something like, I don't want to hand out. You've paid into a system of through taxes for years. You better go get your money. You better go apply for that grant, get that assistance because it is not a handout. It is, it is a system you've paid into. And I'm on it. Um, you know, if, if, no. if the guy in D.C. can get away with paying little taxes and get a lot of benefits. Oh, my gosh. I'll, I'll just end it there. You know, I, I, that's, that's the other thing that I always have to comment on is the fact that, you know, we always celebrate when businesses and organizations do really well, and then they find those tax loopholes where they get out of paying taxes, uh-huh, Jeff Bezos, but when they're going up there. But then, yet, when it's, you know, minority-owned businesses or small businesses that are struggling and having a hard time, then there's this preconceived notion that they're not doing enough, that they shouldn't have even gone into business. They should have just stuck to having a nine-to-five job. So 
again, having that economic empowerment is so key to success. As Corey mentioned, make sure you go there. I wanted to ask you, Corey, um, you know, one of the things is that you grew up in the South side of Chicago. That was your neighborhood. You grew up in an all African-American neighborhood. Then you had this opportunity to travel around. You've been to all 50 states, which I think is incredible. I mean, I always gloat about how I've been all over the world and I've lived all over the world. It's so great. But I actually think that going to every single state is incredible because you really have been able to see how people live in each one of these states and how it probably does feel like in some parts where this is not the same America that I know. And you really get to understand and what it means to live in different communities, whether they're in rural communities and big cities, whatever it may be, but like, and now, you know, you are the global head of inclusion and diversity at Groupon. Like you've had like an incredible experience. And what I want to know is that from that young kid growing up in the South side of Chicago in a single family home and having this experience of growing up across you know, or visiting all these different states and across 30 countries. How has that either validated your narrative and your experience of growing up in Southside or how has that really exploded a whole new narrative for you? Wow. Interesting question. Uh, well, first, you know, I never would have imagined that my life would have taken the path that it's taken. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have the most random resume of any person. <laughs> never does. You know, I've been a I've been a state foundation director. Uh, I've taught at the University of Illinois for, I was on faculty for nine years, created courses, opened a a center here in Chicago to attract urban students into agriculture. I worked in advertising twice, once with the Urbanet as an account manager, then moved into HR. Um, Before Groupon, I was the global vice president for talent development and FCB in New York City. So my my career path makes no sense, but... (laughs) So. But I think that's actually the best career path, to be honest. Like when you have had all these experiences, it gives you so much more to bring to the table today. Oh, totally. So I, I just, I encourage anyone, regardless of your art, don't place limits on yourself about what you think your life can be and be mm-hmm. open wherever, wherever your path may go. Um, you know, I, even now, I don't, I don't pass up any opportunity to, to learn about another company because you just don't know. Right. Um, and you can be happy today and things can change. I think if anything, lesson number three from 2020 we've learned <laughs> is anything can change in a matter of days, right? Like minutes. <laughs> right, like no one would have thought on January 5th, like, ooh, I wonder what this, that's going to be a new year, girl. I got, I got some exactly. year resolutions. Whatever resolutions you had January 1st, I promise you, those have gone out the window, <laughs> <laughs> back in a sealed cabinet. Because <laughs> like, it's just, so you don't know where you're going to end up, right? Right. So be open to opportunities, be open to relationships. That's the other yeah. thing is I have gotten where I've gotten a lot of my life because of relationships and meeting people that, and getting to know people that I never would have normally would have gotten to know. Mm-hmm. Um, different industries, different ages, different you know demographics all over the world. And you just never know when a relationship can come back to be helpful to you and an advantage, mm-hmm. our relationship, right? I think yeah. I was on a panel discussion somewhere. You, you were, know? yeah, you were at a panel and talking and I was just like, that's it. Going up to him right after he's done. <laughs> and then the connections that happen from meeting you to one. It's like, so, mm-hmm. you know, don't ever pass up that opportunity to make connections, get to the real relationships and don't, don't say no, don't say no, try something, try something different, take it a risk. I, I feel so blessed in my path. Um, there are things that I've, think I've done in life that I wish I didn't have to go through. There are jobs that have been painful. Right. Um, and but aren't those the jobs that then like, you know, teach you that resilience, teach you that grit, like, you know, help you learn what you don't want. Like I've had that with leaders that I've experienced like really bad managers who really find a way to keep putting you down and you start questioning yourself. And so that's where it's like, but the thing is that I still have that much gratitude towards those managers because that's where I know this is the type of leader I don't want to be. And when it's your turn to manage someone else, don't do that to someone else. Like learn right. from the, the poor management that you've experienced in your life to do something different. And so, you know, uh, Maya Angelou uh, has a book. I wouldn't take nothing, wouldn't take nothing for that journey, for the journey. <laughs> like I, the journey was not easy. It was definitely not painless. It was not without frustration, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Um, yeah. I think I've gone through was for a purpose and a reason. And, I know that there's still greater things to happen. I love that. I think that's, that's so, you know, a force that also comes with time and experience of realizing that. Like when you're 20, 25, you think the world is your oyster. You think that like, I'm so young, like everything's going to, you know, but the thing is like, take that same energy that you have as like a 20, 25 year old, where you think that 
everything is an option for you and keep it alive. Because I think the older we get, sometimes we get a little worn down and it's like, we forget about that like positive energy that we had once that we weren't jaded with it at that time. Yeah, and you know, I am where I am today, but I was raised by a single black mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know what your listeners, what they, what their family situation is, but, um, you know, even if you're, if you're raising a child on your own, you can still do great things to your kids. Um, you know, being present, um, being available to the extent you can, but also speaking, speaking the word, a word of life to your kids, um, letting, letting them know that the potential is greater than they think it is. Right. Uh, you know, be careful with the words you said, say to kids, um, yeah. speak life and don't speak down and don't speak, you know, you're, you're going to be just like your dad or there was so much power in the language. And so the women who are, and, and it means something from a mother, even different than a father, I think. Mm-hmm. So there is great power in, in the offspring and what they may do and achieve in life just by your words. It's so true. I mean, just, you know, like I'm back in California now and I'm around my nieces. And one of the sweetest things was when I was talking to my nieces and they're five and nine and they didn't know what I did. So they're asking me like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I work for myself. And they're like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I, you know, support emerging leadership. And I, well, I said, you know, women who are uh, women of color that are going into leadership and my nine-year-old was like, that's so cool. Like, that's so awesome. So you help women? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, who is someone that you really are inspired by? And she's like, I love Malala. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And she's like, I love Malala because one, she's not a girly girl. And two, because she really took a stand for speaking for girls to get education and for women. And I want to be just like her. And she's like, I want to be a teacher. And so I just thought that was so powerful, you know, the fact that my brother and my sister-in-law have created these opportunities that are showing her at such a young age that she can really be and do whatever she wants to be. And they support and encourage that. And that, you know, not always everyone has that. And so they have to change that narrative in their mind when they get older, when they have that awareness and that consciousness. But you really led it into exactly what my next question was going to be for you. Who are the women that you would say that have been the most inspiration for you in the workplace, mm. professionally for you, mentors for you? Yeah, Renetta McCann. So Renetta McCann um, worked at Leo Burnett and the media company. She eventually became the CEO and president of a Starcom, Starcom Media Vest um, globally. Black female, just bad, just bad, bad A. Like she just, she just, <laughs> anybody who knows Renetta just loves Renetta. Her energy is infectious. Yeah. Now she's, they've kind of made up a position where she's over diversity inclusion for the parent company of Leah Burnett. Wow. Years ago, right? And so she's just a great person to know. Um, when I was looking to transition to Groupon, I reached out to her, like, hey, I'm, I'm applying for a higher level management position. I need some help. And she, she walked me through it. And now she's still a mentor and a colleague that I, I get to work with. Um, Vita, Vita Harris, um, she is chief strategy officer of FCB Global based in New York City. Um, black female as well. Um, she's just she's a powerful woman who's brought great concepts and ideas to various different ad campaigns. She's, she was a friend and mentor, too, when I worked at um, FCB. Through the ups and downs, she was mm-hmm. there. Uh, so, you know, there's just two women who quickly come to mind with whom um, just they give back. And that's the other thing is, um, even though they, they got to levels of success and power, uh, they didn't hesitate for a second to give back and help and advise others. And that's, that's the other thing. When you're blessed to, to move forward mm-hmm. and progress in your career, don't ever get too big for yourself and think you're that great. <laughs> right. Because uh, you, you can be on, on top today and on the bottom the same day. That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. I, I love that, you know, you brought up these two black fierce women and, and the fact that you said that they immediately were willing to give back and they didn't even think twice about it. Because, you know, when I talk about the unapologetic woman, I talk about a woman who really understands the value of that leadership platform. If you're chasing a leadership title, you're going to be chasing for the rest of your life. You're going to be, you know, quickly coming down because if you're not doing something impactful and purpose-driven with that leadership platform, you know, that's where your legacy really comes from. So I want to know from you, when you think of these two women, when you think about their characteristics, what is it about them that make them unapologetic women? Ooh, so Renetta has, has been the voice from, in many rooms um, throughout in, in, the ad, in the advertising industry to speak up about injustice, to speak out about the lack of diverse talent at high levels. Um, Renetta has never missed words. Like she is a powerhouse in the advertising industry. So thus, if you were to Google her name, you see the list of many different awards and recognition she received you know, from Essence Magazine, you know, Ad Age. 
she has just known to be a powerhouse woman who has has never um, silenced her voice, regardless of who's in the room. That's um, beautiful. She truly is the example of an unapologetic woman. Who I love a, that. Vita is different in the sense of she she's more soft spoken in her, in her approach, but she does a great job in behind the scenes giving people advice and, and direction um, to people of color and to women of color how to navigate corporate America. Um, and so she has, she has too has been on panels and have, have given great insights. Um, but you know her gift is even on a personalized level. She she has so many people she's mentoring, so many people she's advised and helped um, help navigate um, through their careers. And so I think that's what also makes her just fantastic and unapologetically she's just there that's amazing she'll be real with you even when you mess up i think i think what you said right there and the way that you describe both women is so beautiful because one thing that when people think oh the unapologetic woman or the ceo is that you've got to be this verbose you've got to be very you know uh loud and charming and there's there's a lot of characteristics that are put with that but when you were describing Vita and you were saying that, you know, she's actually a little bit more soft-spoken, she was behind the scenes, it's that you can still be an unapologetic woman and you don't have to change your personality to be this like loud extrovert. That's one right. version of it. But you can also just look at what are your strengths? What are your personal gifts? What are your personal geniuses? And how can you use that to help somebody else that may need that help? So I love that. And thank you so much, Corey, for that. You know, I have one last question for you, which yes. is what is the best way to connect with you? Ah, uh, best way to connect with me is LinkedIn. Um, um, and it is Corey Flonoy, C-O-R-E-Y, last name Flonoy, F as in Frank, L-O-U-R. N-O-Y. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, sort of. Like, I never check. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find me. If you see me connect, want to follow me, please do. I, I got to get Great. better at listing content of those other two um, sources, but LinkedIn is what I use primarily. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for pouring out so much wisdom and so much of your, like, beautiful story of sharing with everybody. I mean, you really are an incredible human being and I am just so honored to like know you, to have met you. I feel grateful for going to that networking event where you were speaking. And again, this is a true testament to what Corey was saying earlier is that build relationships, build, you know, go to events. I mean, obviously we can't go to things now necessarily, but go to virtual events, you know, don't be afraid to connecting with someone and just starting out with saying, Hey, I really appreciate what you said about this. I'd love to talk to you. It's as simple as that. You know, we're all human. So thank you so much, Corey, for being on The Unapologetic Woman today. Hey, thank you for the invitation and good luck to everyone out there. Continue to do great things. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.